Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following interviews you're about to hear were recorded prior to the murders of Dante Wright and Adam Toledo. That said, before we jump into this month's episode, on behalf of the Golden State Warriors organization and myself, we'd like to recognize the tragic losses of those very young men. My moment was Rodney King being a college student when you know Rodney King was beaten and the video came out is, is something that I will never forget and uh, really was painful to my heart. And to see something like that happening 30 years later um, just pains my heart even more because it, it, it appears that there has not been any improvement. So, you know, I would certainly say to my brothers and sisters of the human race that there will be no racism when everybody makes sure there is no racism. Whether it's racism against black, Hispanic, anybody of color, any gender, any sexual orientation, until we all fight for each other, this will not end. So any pain that you feel, any anger that you feel, please push that in the right direction in terms of any racism that you hear, whether it's against your people or somebody else. We're going to take a moment of silence in acknowledgement of the injustice shown towards Mr. Wright and Mr. Toledo. Our condolences to their families and the black and brown communities at large. Welcome to the Beyond 28 Podcast, presented by Chase, a show designed to keep the conversation around black history going all year long. We're going to continue to celebrate the excellence, the joy, and the love that is black culture and the black community. Each month, a new episode will explore the influence and impact black people not only have made historically, but also continue to make each and every day. I'm your host, Mark J. Spears, so kick back and relax as we get right into it. In honor of April being National Poetry Month, this episode explores the influence of poetry on black culture in the Bay Area through four different and unique stories. My man, Ralph Walker, the Golden State Warriors head of security, Imani Cezanne, the 2020 Woman of the World Poetry Slam champion, and we go back to April 12, 1945 to revisit Billie Holiday's performance at the Geary Theater. But first, we begin with You Speaks, a local Bay Area poetry and arts organization. My name is Zuhair Musa, and this is Ego Trippin' after Nikki Giovanni. I'm a tree by water. I sway with the wind, but stand tall in stature. I'm an earthquake. Maintaining solid ground, but beneath the surface, my hands shake. I'm never standing still. Always carrying ten shoulders and balled up fists. Today I... Ask any kid in any school what they think about poetry, and you'll likely get the same reaction. A groan, a sigh, a rolling of the eyes. Most of the poetry we've been exposed to feels much too far removed and unrelatable. Of course you dislike poetry. It's medicine. It's eating your vegetables and going to bed without TV. Basically, it's no fun at all. To really know poetry is to love the words of Maya Angelou. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll arise. 
Yusef Komanyaka. Court screwed up and dunked balls that exploded the skull cap. Sonia Sanchez. This is a piece simply called Middle Passage. And Tracy K. Smith. Bodies run with ink dark blood. It's the words of Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> His cadence and oratory stirring emotion from deep inside our soul. But I want you to know the name. It's our experience boiled down to its essence and served back hot. And in 2021, poetry and its performative cousin spoken word are having a renaissance. Most people, when asked to name a poet, will inevitably say Amanda Gorman, who stirred us to heal during the inauguration with her poem, The Hill We Climb we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? And thrilled us weeks later at the Super Bowl with a chorus of the captains. Today, we honor our three captains for their actions and impact in a time of uncertainty and need. So much of the work happening today is performative as much as it is reflective. It's about rocking a stage and a microphone with your words hitting 2,000 people inside the San Francisco Opera House. Or at least that's the experience for those students who are coming up through You Speaks, the Bay Area spoken word theater and arts collective that's best captured by its slogan, because the next generation can speak for itself. Today, the nonprofit works with teens in schools and community centers to help them write and share their ideas to challenge the status quo. The organization also founded Brave New Voices, which hosts annual slam poetry festivals in the Bay Area and beyond. Those events became the focus of a short-lived series on HBO, including the episode taped at the White House during the Obama administration. Years anticipating the second her ears would open like lotuses and allow my sunlight senses to seep into her inside. In 2017, You Speak student poets performed at a Golden State Warriors halftime in front of a standing room only crowd to celebrate Martin Luther King Day. We hear our history lisping in the hiss of the hi-hat, and for a moment, we rock and we rock Nick James, who works as a creative director for the organization, remembers the day fondly. I am a steaming flow of African spice, black That's the height of the dynasty. It was a sold-out game every game, like straight up. They was amped. to the core. I am a mixture of great grandma Jessie's French vernacular slipping off her tongue. Once we get an opportunity like that, we're like, okay, this is a stage. This is a stage for people who normally don't know about you speaks get to see us and see us shine. We met up with Nick on a recent Monday at the group's Market Street location. You know, most people are like one, two generations deep in the Bay, in California. So there's a newness to everything that happens in California, right? So anything's possible. There's kind of like that mentality. And then second, but probably most important, is the activist legacy. Whether it's Brown Berets, whether it's Black Panthers, um, whether it's SF State student strike, student strikes at UC Berkeley, it became a hotbed of activism and poetry and music, and it's been this, like, trinity. My name is Jessica Vallon, and this is Secondary in Several Parts. One, when the boy says Oakland isn't as bad as everyone makes it out to be, I laugh. When he tacks on, except East Oakland, I say nothing. Two, I type East Oakland into my search bar and the engine autofills East Oakland ghetto, East Oakland crime, three. I scrub the ain't and finna and ama from between my teeth and spit them out. I give the boy no reason to call me ghetto. My name is EJ Walls, AKA Sin Q, and I'm currently the lead poet mentor for Youth Speaks. I told him I ain't done. 
And they tell me, put that on some. I could put that on me, 510 where I'm from. Land at a hyphy and go dumb. They ghost riding down your street. I told them I'm the one. And they tell me, put that on some. Opportunity to get into your body so you can get up on stage, you can slide across the floor, you can boogaloo, you can groove. Gabe Cortez came to this group through its Los Angeles chapter. My name is Gabriel Cortez, and I'm currently director of programs at Youth Speaks. I started writing and started performing, I think, more as a place because I felt like I, I didn't have really the opportunity to get to express myself. And I felt self-conscious actually about my words and about my freestyle and just in conversation, whether it was just with friends or family, I was never good at talking smack. <laughs> and so I developed a kind of like, okay, word, like I can um, maybe develop a silence that'll protect me. So what I mean by making space is first an acknowledgement that we're living in a world that is often antagonistic, you know, towards people. Whether you're Black, Indigenous, queer, there's some voices, you know, who are centered either in our culture and just, you know, historically in our schools today who are celebrated and are expected to be celebrated. And then there's a margin that's created. And so a big part of our work is what can we do if we are kind of gathered in circle to be able to make that a space that is safer for young folks whose voices are often relegated to the margins. As more Black NBA players are ignoring the old mantra of just shut up and dribble, they are inspiring an entirely new generation of leaders and activists. When we have our athletes going out there and taking a risk, it really helps to start, you know, shift the culture. And it's like, oh, word, like an athlete can be an activist. You know, like an athlete can use their superpowers, you know, for like liberation and for justice. And, um, you know, when that becomes a part of the culture, that's when it gets like, ooh, you know, now, now our teams, whether they're basketball teams or poetry slam teams, when those are then becoming sites of organization and possibility, that's when it's just like, ooh. Next up on Beyond 28. I heard a man say, my sin is my skin. Ralph Walker. I shook my head to think, how can I win? The longtime Dubs head of security trades in his walkie-talkie for a pen, sharing a heartfelt poem about the black experience with his Golden State family. How can this be? I have the same flesh and blood as he. At the age of 67, Ralph Walker has lived several lives inside a six-foot-three frame. There was a Ralph Walker who ruled the basketball courts of Chicago, first as a prep league standout at Orr High, nicknamed the Rocket, with his monster first step, 41-inch vertical, and electric dunks, Walker was a show-stopping talent. Eventually, he was taken in the fifth round by the Phoenix Suns, only to be cut before the season. A decade later, Reebok would feature Walker in a commercial about streetball legends of the era. People just started calling me money. Because when he shot, it was money in the bank. But by 1977, Walker would close out his first act and shut the door on his sporting life. He joined the Oakland Police Department as a rookie beat cop, earning the nickname Skywalker and a reputation for being able to de-escalate situations. You know, you have a lot of people who are uh, all struggling to get just a piece of the pie, you know, and, you know, not only 
poor whites, poor blacks, you know, just people in general are just all trying to live the American dream. And through that, it creates competition. And that competition will also create hatred. In 1990, Walker became program coordinator for the Police Activities League. Operating out of a worn-out middle school gym in Sobrante Park, perhaps the roughest neighborhood in East Oakland, he devised a slogan, filling playgrounds, not prisons. In 2003, at age 50, Walker retired from the Oakland PD. In 2005, he began as NBA security rep at Oracle Arena. Six years later, the Warriors brought him in as their team director of security. Walker believes that having come up the hard way, that what he has to say resonates with those players he believes can use a whisper or a nudge. When I came on as the Warriors team security, all the guys were not like a Steph Curry who was like a second generation NBA player. You know, you had a lot of guys who were kind of almost like me that came from the inner city, you know, and probably had it not been for basketball, and maybe their lives could have went a whole different direction. So by me coming on board and having a lifestyle that was similar to the guys that I just mentioned, I was able to kind of like do my police work. I could tell these guys how to avoid those type of perils. You know, hey man, look, you don't want to be able to come in here and work for the NBA for a couple years and not do well or get in trouble, and then now you're going to get booted out. You, you just squandered an opportunity. I wanted to be a guy who knew that those problems existed out there and would try to guide guys in a different way. Walker has watched how NBA players have changed. Today's players are more willing to use their own platforms to speak out against injustice and social issues. As that happens and then you kind of see that, it's just like a slap in the face and almost a you to every black person in America who goes through these things. Finally, as we close out the segment, here's a full performance of Ralph Walker's piece as recorded by the Warriors for Black History Month. I heard a man say, my sin is my skin. I shook my head to think, how can I win? It's a constant struggle to show who I am, but frankly, they don't give a damn. When I wonder how can this be, I have the same flesh and blood as he. My mind starts racing, looking to find a resolution. There's got to be one in the U.S. Constitution. All men are created equal. Will my time come in a sequel? Before this horror story ends, I'm proud of the skin I'm in. I want to have a discussion or even a debate on why the world is full of so much hate. I'm tired of all the distractions and ready for our leaders to take some action. They are the ones who can create a plan that's comparable for every man. Or will we continue to have distrust, which could lead to the demise of all of us? Next up on Beyond 28, we speak with Imani Sazan. Repping Oakland, Sazan burst onto the scene in 2014 with her piece Hunger Games, which she performed at that year's Woman of the World Poetry Slam Championship. Her electric performance was the first of what will become a powerful portfolio of poems. That blossomed her career towards national tours, television appearances, and commission writing workshops. My name is Imani Cezanne. 
I am the 2016 and 2020 Women of the World Poetry Slam champion. Get where the getting is good. I wear heels. I wear heels because I'm grown. Pieces like heels, protests, and flowers have places on into the upper pantheon of spoken word performers like Rudy Francisco. Life is a gym membership with a really complicated cancellation policy. Cezanne also works as an educator and most recently received the 2020 San Francisco Art Commission's Teaching Artists in Residence Grant to create a spoken word poetry programming for San Francisco schools. As a slam coach, she has guided teams at San Francisco State University, Mills College, American University, and Georgetown. But it is right here in the Bay Area, Cezanne's adopted home where she can see the explosion of talent growing out of a vibrant, tight-knit scene that is part of the landscape of the Bay Area's history as a location of leading black culture. Comments or concerns, but you must know, I wear heels because I'm fly. Amani Cezanne, I'll be scoping the crowd like Welcome to Beyond 28. And when I'm grounded, when I'm grounded, I'm stepping on mother... I can't see. I wear heels. Poetry Slam has really changed the game for a lot of people introduced to spoken word via Poetry Slam. And that wasn't my experience. I discovered spoken word as an art form first and then realized later that there's this sport that you can play that uses this art form. I didn't know that you could compete with your poems. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot about sports or at least about basketball specifically. But we talk a lot about the alignment between something like a Poetry Slam team and a basketball team. To make a good team, well, first of all, you want about five people. You want what we call like your ace, and that's somebody that's like tried and true, somebody that you can put up in any round to do pretty much any poem, and you know that they're gonna knock it out of the park. You want like a second ace. <laughs> So like somebody who could also do that, like if needed. Then I think your third person that you want is somebody who's like an assistant ace, <laughs> right? So someone who would do well in uh, like what we call group pieces. It's kind of this coordinated choreographed poem that we perform together. And so you want somebody that you can pretty much stick into any group piece and that they can do well. I also think you need a rookie. You need a rookie, you need somebody who's hungry, somebody who's excited, somebody who's never done this before. Um, and somebody who's like really ready to work and ready to learn. I think that gives a different energy to the team and it just helps us to invest more in the culture. And then I think lastly, you need someone who can change the tone of the room. There are a lot of poems back to back that are like really big and loud and aggressive, right? You want somebody that can come in and be very quiet, but still very powerful that moves the judges just to show them something different. So that's a solid slam team. I mean, I've been on like nine different Poetry Slam teams. It's really corny, especially like when you talk to people who don't do this, it's like, you know, my, I bet my poem's better than yours. Like, who cares, you know? And so like, I, I leave space for that and I leave space for like, the whole, the whole point of starting the concept was to get people listening to poetry in ways that they weren't before, right? Because if a regular person walking down the street, um, if you're like, hey, you wanna go to a poetry show? No, not really. Hey, you wanna go listen to poets who think they're better than other poets, try to prove it? Like, ah, that actually might be a little interesting. <laughs> The Bay Area's deep history and community fosters rich inspiration for many writers, even their performances, Amani included. This place is a, a place of, of revolution because there are black people here and because there are people of color here and because there is an expectation for 
how we, not just how we deserve to be treated, but how the systems and the cultures and the traditions around us need to be transformed. The people in the Bay, specifically the people in Oakland, are not the kind of people that just allow those things to happen, allow those things to continue, right? So when you think about the Bay Area, when you think about the people who are here, who they are descendants of, Many of the people who are here in the West came from the South during, you know, the those migrations, especially with the shipyards in San Francisco. And so I know that the Bay Area, um, especially the Black people here and the uh, people of color here, have been very much affected by the state and by, um, yeah, all of the things that contribute to oppression. I think what's important to me is to revolutionize, but not as a charity, right? Not as this thing we're doing to feel good about ourselves or this one-time thing, but working towards revolution, right? So yes, we're gonna support the people. And also while we do that, we're gonna work towards revolutionizing the space so that we don't have to do this anymore. I write poetry for black people. And if other people enjoy it too, that's great. I write poetry for myself, absolutely. 85 to 90% of the things that I write don't ever see the light of day because they're just for me and my own processing and my own emotions or feelings or whatever. With writing came an opportunity to really learn myself and learn what I want and what I don't want and, and what my thoughts are and to really organize myself in a way. And so, yeah, writing, I don't think that it changed my life. It, I think it is my life. It's in everything that I do, whether I'm writing poems and sharing them, whether I'm teaching poems to my students, whether I'm teaching other teaching artists how to teach poems to their students, whether you know I'm doing a commissioned uh, work or something like this where I'm talking about poetry, like my whole world revolves around writing around poetry. and. Um, I'm really, really grateful for that. My art is always a reflection of, of kind of what I'm processing, what I'm thinking about, uh, what I'm absorbing. The art that we create now, there's so much that's going into it, right? There's the pain and the trauma. There's also boredom, right, from just being in the house. I don't know how much of the art I made this last year will, like I said, we'll see the light of day, but I do know that these are the times where I'm most grateful to be an artist. Muhammad Ali said he was an activist first, but boxing gave him a platform. For many young people looking to find their voice or use their platform, there are many different outlets and pathways that can help. My particular art form that does the thing for me just happens to be one that has me standing in front of people. Shrieking don't come easy to us giants. But it doesn't necessarily mean I enjoy being in front of people. You can't teach height. That's why we have poetry slam coaches. You can't teach height, boo. It's a We have to be trained. Like, you have to be coached on how to do that. Average we who can love ourselves enough to not let a man with issues validate us. I'll be big for a reason. I'll be sized to be seen. I am a prize. My heels on my pedestal. And you, baby, you just lost. It's like I wrote the thing down because I didn't want to say it out loud. And now you want me to say it out loud? Like, that's why I wrote it down. And this is something I was taught in Poetry Slam too, that all I have is my experience. When we go on stage to say our poem at the Slam, everyone gets the microphone, the mic stand, and the stage that you're standing on. That's all you have. No props, no music, no nothing. And so all you have that the other competitors don't have 
is your experience. To James Browns, I'm black and I'm proud. I pledge allegiance to the weeds rotation, to Oakland, to 45th and Telegraph, to wine flavored black and mild in the same place I buy my tamales. I pledge allegiance to San Diego, California, every black and brown struggle in the country that borders it, and the language we all learned at the hands of the same kind of oppressor. May my days of disobedience to this country's glory outnumber the days my mind has spent in bondage. Lean into who you are. Attach yourself to it. Like, it's okay to change your mind, you know? It's okay to decide you want something different. The youth should absolutely, they should speak their minds, they should say the things, they should write the poems, they should perform them, all of that. I think what's important is that they are supported and guided in ways that contribute to their learning and their understanding so that when they are out there saying the things, they're well informed and have a you know a clear understanding of what's going on and what they're talking about and what they believe and they should be listened to because they can teach you know they can teach things too and, and are are able to recognize things from a particular perspective again that no one else has. Next on Beyond 28, we travel back in time to April 12th, 1945, for Billie Holiday's San Francisco debut. Holiday's talent was boundless. I always wanted to sing like Louis Armstrong played. I always wanted to uh, sing like an instrument, you know, like uh, any instrument. Her singing was an exercise in intimacy and raw candor. All of this was on display that April evening in 1945 when Billie Holiday took the stage at San Francisco's Geary Theater to close out her first performance with Strange Fruit. During the musical introduction, Holiday would stand with her eyes closed as if she was evoking a prayer. Especially for me, Strange Fruit. The song is a haunting and violent lullaby that juxtaposes Holiday's lush voice with a description of this nation's most notorious lynching. While the lyrics never mention lynching, the metaphor is painfully clear. Southern trees bear strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Fast forward, and Holiday Song has been famously covered by singers such as Nina Simone, Lou Rawls, and Diana Ross. Pastoral scene of the and it's gone on to be sampled in songs by artists like Pete Rock, Rhapsody, and Kanye West. I just need to clear my mind now. But by the time Holiday brought Strange Fruit to San Francisco, she was at the peak of her fame. 16 years before Rosa Parks refused to yield a seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus to have a black woman standing in front of a white audience singing a song against white supremacy and its violence was a declaration of war. While she performed at the posh Geary, Holiday stayed and played in the city's Fillmore district. The hotels of the era were largely segregated, 
and her residence of choice was at the Mark Twain Hotel. After the show, Holiday could be found making a scene at all-night jazz clubs like the Champagne Supper Club and the New Orleans Swing House. During the musical heyday of the Fillmore District in the 40s and the 50s, the area was known as the Harlem of the West, and those in the know could swing from Friday till Monday nonstop. To understand Billie Holiday's impact on black culture, especially the power of strange fruit, we reached out to Marcus Shelby, a noted Bay Area jazz historian and band leader, to honor the legacy of Holiday and examine the Fillmore District and its legacy as the Harlem of the West. You had, of course, the Harlem Renaissance. You had um, Los Angeles had its scene. And so for us, it really was the Fillmore District, and it also was um, Oakland at the same time. You had great players, of course, that were coming through San Francisco, anyone from like Nat King Cole, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Billie Holiday, of course. Billie Holiday sort of gave us the, the clearest example of the the power of the blues. You sang the blues, tried to amuse. I think that when she came in the 45s, there was a certain popular success to her um, that was beyond just the black community. You know, she was accepted beyond that. And she was, you know, she had, you know, played and toured and recorded by this time. And uh, she was a big star. Now being a popular as she was, using her stature and her her voice to speak out on an injustice. Uh, of course, we're talking about a strange fruit. And this is, you know, there's, this is a song like no other. A serious condemnation of what was going on in this country around lynching. Billie Holiday made it really visceral. She sang it with full force and power of the blues. Uh, and so it touched people. Before we go in the wake of the recent verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd, we wish to acknowledge what this moment of justice means for the entire black community, for people of color, for America, and for the world. Our hearts go out to Mr. Floyd's family, friends, and loved ones. I remember seeing my father, who's one of the strongest men I've ever met, cry when South Carolina took down all his Confederate flags. The pain of his past, the pain of being black, the pain of white faucets and black faucets, the pain of the civil rights movement for simply being black, all that came out in tears when South Carolina took down the Confederate flags. For me, when Chauvin was guilty, that had the same effect on me. Tears of pain and tears of joy came out. That wraps up this episode. I'd like to thank our guests, You Speaks, Ralph Walker, Monty Cezanne, and Marcus Shelby. Beyond 28 is brought to you by the Golden State Warriors and Chase. Tune in next month as we continue to lift up black voices, their stories, and the culture. It's still Black History Month. Join the conversation by visiting thewarriors.com slash beyond28.
Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.